Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Bruce Dennell is a writer, an arts critic, and a musician based in Johannesburg, and I have him on the line. Hi, Bruce. Hello, hello. It's so good to talk to somebody. Not <laughs> live in my hole in the back there, pretending to yes. have friends. That's so nice to connect, I agree. <laughs> in fact, I remember the first time I met you, I think, was at an Andy McGibbons guitar It night. was. It was, because I remember seeing the word shotgun on the, the listing. I was like, oh boy, what have we got ourselves in for? <laughs> I had no clue, but it was, it was lovely. I remember it was a very lacquer gig. Yeah, lots of lovely people on that board. It was fantastic. It was, it was a long time ago. We were so young. <laughs> we were so young. And in fact, <laughs> um, those Andy McGibbons nights were so beautiful. They were fantastic. They're one of those things where the audience knows what they want and act like they want it. So they sit and listen and they interact and they buy things. Oh, the good old days. Oh, yeah. so rare as well. Yes. We miss you, Andy. Right. We do. Yeah. Bruce, why music? What drew you here? Wait, it's a long time. I started playing the piano when I was um, uh, seven, I think. But yeah, about seven years old. Kind of because my parents said so. But it, was, <laughs> but it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where I grew up in a musical household and this and that. My dad is like an Andre Rio fan. Sorry, dad. But, um, you know, you, know you, you often hear people saying, oh, I grew up and my mom listened to Elvis all day and this, and we had records lying. That wasn't so much the thing. Um, but that said, my folks always uh, encouraged music. Um, and unfortunately for me, I discovered football at about mm-hmm. nine or so. And then as a, as a nine-year-old boy, was way too lazy to practice piano when I could rather be outside and kicking a football. Um, so I gave up on that, um, but then picked up a guitar, an acoustic guitar, when I was about 13, and taught myself that. And yeah, here we are, many years later. I won't say how many, but many. Started songwriting at about 16, um, because that's when I had my heart broken the first time. So that's what you have to do, I think. That's the start button for all songwriting, isn't it? I don't know. You know it. Um, <laughs> and then um, have been doing that ever since as well. So yeah, and, and then, but also... I've always been a huge music fan in terms of listening, but as I say, with that kind of limited exposure, it was very interesting because I had to I had to kind of find my own way um, with the resources that you had. You know, um, mm-hmm. one thing I mean, I don't, if you remember, you, you don't do it so much now, but you know, when I was growing up, if your mom went into the shop and you were in the car, you were left in the car because uh, it was just easier in the parking lot. Uh-huh. I think I, that's where I got most of my musical education was sitting in the in the car in the parking lot somewhere. Yeah, just playing the radio to keep myself busy until you know, she had done the shopping or finished her meeting or whatever. My mom is a great mom. Please don't let this reflect badly. <laughs> I think all our moms did it. Look how much we learned, yeah. So now, if you were to look at your career as a timeline, because you have two careers within this yes. one body of Bruce, your career as a musician and your mm. career as an arts critic and a writer. Looking at the whole package, could you give me three to five highlights of those careers that would 
set the scene for anyone listening who hasn't heard your music or mm. hasn't heard of you? Okay. Um, so I think Graceland, the Paul Simon album, so that was, what, 86, 87, that was the album that it made me think I could make music and it made me think um, that I wanted to make music. Um, and it made me appreciate music because it, it was just this whole thing. Obviously, I'd heard a lot of South African sounds, a lot of South African music. I'd heard American and other UK sounds and whatever. And that was the first one that, for me, really exposed me to that kind of, there's so much different music here. There's so much different culture here in one place, in one uh, output, in one, you know, one creative thing. And and that that was just so incredibly exciting to me. So that was a big spike that that got me on the road. As I say, I mean, I was still, I was still young then. I was still kicking football around, but it, that that's really driven me along the way. Bands that I was a big fan of at the time were artists, uh, people like Robin Ald and Bright Blue. So that same kind of vibe where there's that unmistakable South Africanness to the sound, mm. um, but. But that's not why I'm listening. I'm not going. Well, I'm, I'm hugely patriotic, so let me make sure it mentions. Cape Town or something, you know, for it to be valid. That was never the issue. I just loved their sound and I loved, obviously, hearing their influences come through, not knowing what those were as, as a boy, but but still understanding that that was something that really spoke to me. So to go into into later highlights, I mean, as a, as a varsity student gigging a hell of a lot, I was in a band at the time called Forest, played a lot with Sugar Drive and that kind of stuff. But one of the big highlights then in an early part of my career was uh, playing with Bright Blue. Um, so we supported them at Wings Speed Bar in, in Bramfontein, you know, with a mixing desk hanging off the wall on a cable and you had to just kind of do your own sound at an angle. And, um, but yeah. it was fantastic. Um, Karma was at, uh, Karma from Henry H. She was at, uh, at Varsity with me, you know, so we sort of came through that scene a little bit together. So that was a huge thing. And then uh, uh, Robin as well, is now a friend. Robin is now punting my my music to for film soundtracks on his label, um, which is just a mind warp to me. I mean, I saw him a few weeks ago in Cape Town. We had lunch together. So that kind of curve is really, really special to me. That that sort of relationship building within the art form kind of thing is is incredible for me. Um, on the writing side, I uh, actually studied zoology. For some reason, as I said earlier, I was catching snakes and scorpions out in the middle of nowhere as a as a kid. So I think that all came through. It's halfway through the degree, figured out that writing was what I wanted to do, um, and started freelancing. And then the day after I wrote my final exam, started working on magazines. Um, one of which was uh, a little magazine called The Entertainer, which I started mm -hmm. editing at all of whatever I was twenty something. You know, just that passion for. Not only a passion for for art, for making it, but also listening to it, for watching it, for reading it, but also just the way my head works is that I'm the sort of person if if we went and watched a movie together, I'd want to come home and kind of unpack it, you know, mm. and just and think about it and analyze it and whatever. Not in a sort of horribly geeky way or whatever, but just just to I think there's meaning, you know. If you, if somebody listens to one of your songs, you don't want them to go away only and think, oh, that was pretty. <sighs> That's not, you know, you put much effort, yeah. much more effort into it than that was pretty. So I really loved doing all of that. And so it made its way into my writing. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to love listening to stuff and watching stuff and writing stuff and whatever, um, I might as well get paid for it. And that's where the art critic stuff came in. So I've been doing that since, yeah, since the mid-90s, late-90s. 
as a professional. Uh, and I mean, so many highlights there. Very, very long list of, of incredible artists that I've been able to to meet and talk to. Um, I've chatted to Dave Matthews uh, three times or whatever. It's such an, a wonderful, wonderful bloke. Actually, I mean, this very chair that I'm sitting in here, I was interviewing him sort of like this at one point and my wife walked by, past and sort of mouthed, say hi, um, just as a joke, you know. So I said, Dave, my wife says hi. And he's, he says, put me on. So I gave him the phone <laughs> and they had a chat about ironing. I remember she was on her way to fold ironing or something and they, they had a chat about best way to fold ironing. I mean, he's just a lovely, lovely man. But um, yeah, loads of loads of fantastic artists that are you know, interviewed live and and over the phone. Um, I was the arts editor at The Citizen for many years, so that, that gave me a whole lot of access to incredible stuff. I often have people say, you know, you're really lucky to be able to do what you do which I know, but I'm also, if those are whoever accountants or whatever they do saying that to me, then I'm going, well, if, you know, if this is so good, why aren't you doing it? Um, <laughs> so same, same thing. I think if you come off stage after a great gig, you know, people go, oh, that's, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Have you tried? Yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah. I must say it's so interesting because um, the idea of someone coming up to you after, after a performance to say they wish they could do it. I would never encourage someone <laughs> to do art unless they are so pulled that they won't do something else. I think that is, it's such a, a hard life. It is. I look, I think, how's, what's the best way to say it? You must discover that you can't not do it. Yes. If you're able to not do it, then that's probably not a bad idea. Keep it as a hobby. Yes. But if you can't not do it, then you won't stop. And yeah. it might be slow and it might be time in between, or you might be writing things every day or you might, but it, it will always be super important and the people involved in it will always be super important. The value of it will always be incredibly high. So that's also something which, where there's an overlap as an artist and as a, as a critic is that sort of understanding the value of art, mm. whatever it is. Um, so again, if I listen to one of your songs and I can hear emotion, whatever it is, happiness, sadness, pain in your voice, you know, there's there's already another whole aspect of value there. And if it talks to one of a situation that I'm in, then there's no whole package of value there. And if it's got a lovely melody and this and that, the next thing in the production's good, there's all sorts of other blah, 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 you know. And then, so yeah. you end up with this thing, your appreciation of it is just is much more profound, yeah. Yeah. Phew. When you spoke about earlier relationship building within the arts, I have to say that's where the magic is, particularly. Mm. Because when you connect with other artists and people who are doing it as well, and you can, there's like a, um, a sizzle mm -hmm. of energy and you you are shifted. I mean, it's magnificent. It's wonderful, it really is. And so what was your ultimate why? What drives you to create music? I think to, yeah, touch on that thing, again, I, I can't I can't not. I know that sounds a bit a bit random, but it's my default is is writing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, if, I mean, I, I hardly ever just watch TV, for instance. I just, just, I need something to do with my hands. So I often have the laptop open and I'm writing or I'm, because I have a, I have a, a blog and, and an arts, you know, it's an online arts mag and whatever. So I write stories for that or I, or I'm working on songs. Um, although songs, for whatever reason, I still tend to write in a notebook. Um, we chat about that just now, but it's mm -hmm. what, what drives me to create, I think is, <laughs> Also, as I was saying just now, as a, as a critic, that, that need to unpack, to understand something. So mm. to create, as a songwriter, a lot of my stuff is, I suppose, 
analytical is the wrong word, but it's it's exploring something. It's exploring emotions. So it's not going, I felt like that and leaving mm-hmm. it there. It's going, um, I felt like that and I don't know how to deal with that. And here's my confusion and here's my insight and here's my pain, happiness, joy, whatever it might be. And yeah, so that's very complicated. First mm-hmm. chorus end and you know so that <laughs> you might get to the end of the song and go oh ah, well there's you know i don't i don't have closure here and i'm going well of course you don't but you don't have closure in your relationship with the girl that you can't get hold of because whatever she's turned her phone off and you don't have closure with your mom who you haven't seen for a year because of covid and you don't have, it's it you know these are real these are real things that we we deal with and i think i, I find it very useful but it, i'm not doing it as, as a sort of therapy thing but I find mm-hmm. it very useful to to explore that. And it, it does connect with people. You get a lot of people saying, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way, or this really spoke to me, or whatever it is, you know, those those lovely comments that we we hope will come up at the end of the gig, yeah. Now, some of your tracks have been picked up for TV shows, hey? Yeah, yeah. Now, talk a bit about that. Well, that's, that's pretty weird, because, um, you know, a lot of them, I've got a publishing deal now with uh, Neil Solomon, uh, Passage One Music, Mm-hmm. Neil and Taryn Warwick, uh, so they run Passage One Music, which is a, it's publishing. So a lot of what they do is is that kind of thing. But it started quite a while back. There was a program called Going Nowhere Slowly, um, mm-hmm. sort of very laid back travelogue kind of thing. Uh, Ashley Dowds is one of the presenters, and yeah, we had also one of those funny, those funny weird deals that you sign when you twelve, you know, and you're not really <laughs> sure how it works and whatever. And it, it just arrived on TV. We got a we got a double disc thing we had one song on each disc that was the soundtrack and we're oh okay so that that happened that worked um but it was it was really really cool because you just get again there is this moody thing they're driving a red cadillac or whatever it was across the Karoo, and you know your song's playing in the background and it's giving it this emotion what a vibe i know it's incredible Mm. neil's got vast experience in that area so that's that's fantastic because he had then had the connections and i had a lot of songs on on isidinga for instance Wonderful. And again, he's listening to it and he's going, well, they need something. There's a fight scene or something. So we'll put this in. Or there's a you know somebody feeling um, morose or whatever, you know, depending on, on what song they need, what mood they need. And I, I really love that that feeling of being able to add to the kind of emotional quality of, of, of something. Because, again, as singer-songwriters, I think, you know, emotions are at least as important to to what we do as as hooks or... or you know, arrangements or whatever sound you know we want we want an emotional impact as well as as well as sound so i think that's important mm, yeah absolutely so now you're a dad yes. as well i know you haven't made the decision to make music full-time but have you noticed whether parenting has impacted either your career in music or your music at all well, career-wise, yes, you you know the challenges, and as I mentioned earlier, you're much braver than most of us in terms of, of trying to juggle both of them. I wouldn't want to be doing the many gigs and the late-night gigs, the, the time-away stuff I wouldn't want to be doing mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. But in terms of does music make our life together richer, yes, definitely. It's um, I have this wonderful thing if we're playing Spotify or something, and the girls will often because yeah, I play my mixes for them, all, all the songs when they're released and whatever, and get some input. And um, so I often have this thing where you 
somebody's coming through the speaker and they oh look sounds like you dad or is that you dad and you're going oh no that's that's eric clapton but thank you um <laughs> or, or something you know um etc and you know they both love their music my eldest daughter plays the piano my youngest has a, a ukulele which she's it's a one chord issue at the moment but she's she's working on it um but they both they both love love the music love to sing my wife also sings which she was actually backing vocalist in in one of my bands back in the day so yeah we love music is a is a communal thing we always when we we always swap whoever's turn it is to put on spotify when we having meals so you get a you get a wide range of weird stuff <sighs> but yeah i know it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a unifying thing it's a good part of the fabric i don't think i haven't written kind of butterfly kisses or something like that though you know it hasn't mm-hmm. it hasn't had that sort of inspirational uh lyrical impact as i say i, I tend to find uh, it's more lyrical stuff for me is, is more conceptual it's more kind of analyzing a feeling or a, a perspective or something so um yeah it tends not to be i'm glad that you're i don't know puppy came home I, i'm not sure i don't think i do a very good job of, of that kind of song so now i mean there's COVID, which is in itself had an effect yeah. on the music industry. But what are some of the challenges that you've observed and had impacting you? And I mean, obviously, as an arts critic, you mm-hmm. know a lot of musicians and you see what are some of the challenges facing musicians today? There being too much music is, is a big deal. Um, so again, if you and I have, have done a fair amount of music. We've been in it for a, a fair amount of time and, and that will be the case for quite a lot of people. And then, you know, if you've got 20 songs or 25 songs or 400 songs or whatever in in the system in some way, there'll be some sort of traction somewhere and you'll get noticed somewhere. But again, it's not, even then, it's, it's unlikely without full-time marketing help or investment in that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Because again, it's... It, 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 does have very this is a, a challenge and a problem is that it, it has very little to do with talent or the quality of the output it has more to do with how much marketing muscle you have and mm-hmm. the, you know we, we've talked about about relationships a few times um, a lot of it is who you know in terms of, of success um, and can you get on that playlist well depends if you know who's hosting the show or whatever whatever I'm not talking about sort of pay- payola or anything weird like that I'm just saying it's um you know, those those are tough things. There are limited channels and very, very, very many options for those channels. So that's the one thing. There is the aspect of, of uh, venues being a problem, pandemic or no pandemic. But as a, and I, I must say, you know, I must qualify this as a solo singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar. I do also think that sometimes people get a bit too focused on that as a problem in, in that you and I can both pick up a guitar now and start singing and wherever we are then is the venue, uh, which mm. could be the side of the road. It could be a, you know, it could be a pub. It could be a concert hall. Um, but we don't need much more than that. But that's, as I say, qualified because that's my kind of output. If I'm somebody who's got a full band who needs this, that, or the next thing, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a much bigger problem. I think also just the, you know, in in many ways we're kind of. You'll get listeners who, or music fans who go looking for either what they, they think they'll like or willingly want, you know, wanting to go and explore, to go, I have no idea what this is. Let's have a look. Let's have a listen. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of, because of the, the kind of huge success of similar sounding people, you know, your average pop chart or whatever, there's, there's a similar kind of uh, production sound. There's a similar arrangement. 
some of the keys, some of the melodies. And it's not to say any of it is bad, but it is similar. So if mm. you're violently different or even vaguely different, or if you're more sincere, or if you're uh, a higher risk taker, or if your song is longer or something, you know, you're outside just that, that niche. Again, as a critic, you know, often I listen to the quality of songwriting. Again, a critic who's a songwriter and a musician blah, blah, and a singer and whatever. So you're going, the quality of the songwriting or the singing and the singing sometimes, et cetera, et cetera, is not better than mine. You know, mm. um, but this person is, you know, a thousand times more successful in, in material terms. Uh, you know, they have, yeah. they're earning more money, they're filling stadiums, whatever it might be. And I think maybe the big challenge, the single big challenge is that you kind of need to hit a sweet spot somewhere, which you can't control necessarily, you mm. know, where whatever the superstar DJ gives you a chance on his show or the, uh, or, you know, if I've had stuff on TV, on the, on the TV shows, but it, whatever, that wasn't, uh, you know, Issy Dingo didn't have the, whatever, Orange County or Grey's Anatomy reach in terms of its its soundtrack or whatever it might be. If if something had happened there and this person had seen me play and I had been available to tour then and da, 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 all of that stuff, um, you know, you need all of those things to intersect so that your undoubted talents can make it into a channel where, which everybody is exposed to. Spotify and all of these things are wonderful in terms of, you know, letting you and I um, be heard in Siberia or, you know, Tierra del Fuego or something. Um, but, you know, but the guy across the road doesn't know I play guitar or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, the hitting that sweet spot, I think, is, is the massive challenge. But there's not a lot you can do to plan other than to go, let's get as many people on board in terms of agents and marketing people and song pushes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of which takes money you may not have. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you noticed musicians getting creative now during these COVID times to make a living? Boy, the, to make a living is the tough bit. Um, you know, I mean, there's the, there's all of the online concerts and stuff that you can do, but as with anybody, I mean, I'm a fan of yours, but thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> from a, <laughs> but from a budget point of view, you know, if you were playing every week at a at a venue close to me, I still wouldn't want to come to every gig. And not only Absolutely. from a budget point of view, but also because I, I'd have heard all your stuff 16 times. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing with me. I've got lovely fans who have been with me a long time, but kind of one of the challenges when people are with you a long time is that they know your stuff and they don't need to hear Absolutely. the same stuff again. You're probably not going to have a gig where you play only new stuff because then half of the other people will feel you know, confused and they won't have a clue what's going on. So I think the challenge in in this time, you know, is is to still remain appealing when you don't have the sort of ambiance of a venue or the, you know, the big sound setup, you know, or the power of a band. You know, you, you can get it on a, a sort of well-produced video or something, but it's, it's, it's just more expensive and more difficult and all the rest of it, you know, whereas if you were playing um, at a festival with a, with a great setup and a great sound man or something, yeah, the place is buzzing. People are in a certain mood, and uh, you know it's, it's loud, and it you know it gets into your into your system. I have been incredibly impressed with the number of people, artists of uh, musicians, but also theatre people, TV people, just getting on board to help other artists. Um, so a lot of these, I've been involved, been very privileged to be involved in a in a couple of these uh, sort of fundraising gigs uh, or shows. You know where they 
film you alone or whatever, or you do your stream <laughs> in a slot and whatever, and somebody's producing this amazing thing backstage. So I've been incredibly, yeah, as I say, I think there's some very special people in our scene who put in an enormous amount of work into helping other people, into raising money for them, and that's that's ongoing. Robin Ald, who we've mentioned, he's been uh, he's starting a thing now where he's working his way through his album, but playing his albums all the way through, you know, in in, mm. in a single gig. And I think that's a, that's an interesting way of keeping people on board if you're a well-known name is to then go, you know, this whatever, this came out in 1991 and there were these three big hits on it, but I'm playing it track one to track 12 and that's the gig and, you know, support me here, whatever the the system is. Yeah, a lot of videos. As a critic, I'm getting a lot of, uh, a lot of videos to review oh. in terms of the way people are, are releasing their singles. That's interesting. So it is interesting because the figures, you know, if I when I go and review them, and you you, you know you can see how many times it's been played on YouTube or whatever, the figures are not huge. Mm-hmm. But I think for people like ourselves, if 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 we are you know trying to run families and things as well, if you're stuck at home, you do have a little bit more downtime. You're not driving around as much. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And if you can figure out some way to to put a, a decent video together, obviously again. You know, we're not going to get to the sound stages. We're not going to get to studios necessarily. But um, a lot of people are using that as a as a way of, of producing stuff. So, I mean, there was one recently, again, lovely production values. But essentially, she walked down the road, what looked like the Free State, somewhere very beautiful countryside, towards the camera, and then met the guy at the end kind of thing. I've spoiled the whole thing, but I won't tell you it was. But, um, <laughs> but that, that was the whole concept for the video. And you're going, that's it's fairly boring as a concept but it was made to look great and it suited the song and the, the theme of the song and it costs next to nothing and so i think yeah people are people are figuring out ways to to do that i mean stuff like like you and this podcast you know i'm not sure that this would have been an option if you were you know currently doing a six night stint in in Vintook or something or as part of your mm-hmm. tour so i think people are also finding out i also started with stefan foss uh, we started a podcast called the chorus yeah, which is also mm. all about arts and culture, talking about all these kinds of things, having some guests, making noise, <laughs> really, uh, playing <laughs> playing playing some of our songs or playing original songs on you know on air and uh, tasting whiskey because that's important, okay. you know these kinds of things. So uh, I think people are again. I think it's maybe tied to what we early earlier were talking about is that it, it um, if you are a person who can't not art. <laughs> You're going, well, I'm frustrated now because I can't gig. This is something you and I can't do. I can't gig, so what am I going to replace gigging with? And it, it might be a podcast. It might be it might be getting involved in these, these other uh, fundraising projects. It might be making a video. It might be writing a lot more songs. Um, again, I've, I've always been a fairly prolific writer, but I know a lot of people who are writing much more than they used to because what else are they going to do? You know, and also... You know, if you are definitely, officially, absolutely, just in a disciplined manner, working at home, as far as your boss knows, but you're actually writing a song, you know, then you have that option now, which you you couldn't really do at your high, in your high-rise building in your suit in Santon or whatever. You know, yeah, absolutely. So now, what advice would you give independent artists and creatives mm. to make them keep doing this? <sighs> Don't listen to naysayers. Number one, keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop. The thing is the naysayers might be right. I'm not saying I'm not saying naysayers and, and if you want to lump in critics, um, naysayers for me are different to critics. Critics are hopefully people who are doing something constructive um, and productive. 
Um, I'm saying if, if somebody just writes you off, don't listen to them because A, they haven't done what you've done and they haven't done it in the way that you've done it. Um, and B, they very likely don't have the slightest clue what they're talking about. So don't stop because just from an emotional point of view, all of that kind of stuff, if you let somebody else talk you out of, of being true to that part of you, there are more long-term and, and heavy effects than just not having a song out or finishing a book or something. The other thing is, if obviously, if you stop, you don't get better. Mm. Particularly if, if you're somebody who has another living to make or a full life in some other way or whatever. The more you do it, the better you'll, you'll get. You know, the more songs you write. If you, if you have written 400 songs, the chances of there being 20 good ones are a hell of a lot higher than if you've written 20 songs. Mm-hmm. So keep going, keep playing. Yeah, I heard you in one of your interviews going about being disciplined about your scales and, and this and that and the next thing. You know, if you want to be a better player, you have to do the work. You've got to put in the hours. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a basic, a basic don't stop thing. Then the other thing is, is what we've also chatted about is, is the network thing. Figure out who your friends are because not everybody will be. But that said, there will be a hell of a lot of people who will be. And that's pretty damn wonderful. Um, and the reward of going and playing a show with somebody that you respect or care about or like or whatever, regardless of how many people are in the room or how much money you've made or haven't made, or that reward is something very, very special. I'd also say try and try and record as much as you can. You know, a hundred different home studio options now and then software and this, I'm the world's worst engineer. It's just, it's not that my ears aren't good and that's, it's just, I'm not very good at the, why does that not turn on and this and that and why is this muted and, you know, 45 minutes of setup and then I'll be able to press record, but I'm exhausted by then and I can't sing anymore or whatever. <laughs> um, so, but if you, if you can record and if you can record with, with other people who push you, whether that be other musicians or, or engineers, producers, anybody on that side, be disciplined, you know, put it in the diary, work towards it. And yeah, say, even if it's a case of you're very critical of your own work or whatever, set yourself some targets. Say, I need to have finished a song by next week, Wednesday. Cool. If it's a rubbish song, it's fine. Now you know, and that's out of your system and you, you keep moving and you, you know, poach some parts from it and you, and you do another one by the next Wednesday and you just, I know you've done these projects. Actually, I've seen some of the, at one point you did a, a song a day thing, Insta- yeah. Instagram or something maybe, but, um, you know, it's. It does help. It, it, it keeps you keeps you moving forward. I think it's the concept of the creative faucet, mm. where you have to get through all those bad ideas yes. to get to the good ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. So now, if anyone wants to hear your stuff, or get in touch, mm. or be reviewed, <laughs> where could they find you? So, what are your socials? Social, yeah, on on Facebook, um, just me is just Bruce Dennell. So Dennell has two N's and two L's, so D-E-N-N-I-L-L. Bruce Dennell, that's just for friends, whatever, normal Facebook stuff. And then Bruce Dennell Music is a music-related Facebook page. So that's updates of should gigs ever happen. Gigs, you know, recording and new songs and whatever's linked in, you know, maybe 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 punting in somebody else's song and just saying, oh, this is amazing. Although that'll happen on my, my Facebook page as well. And then, yeah, for reviews and stuff on Participate, that's brucedennell.co.za, Participate. And at the bottom, there's an email address, which you can send stuff through to. And then there's loads of music on, also just under my name, Bruce Dennell, D-E-N-N-I-L-L, stuff as a solo artist. And then I've done a lot of collaborations in the last couple of years, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff as well. 
yeah, wherever you stream music. If, you, if you're streaming, then just put in my name. You'll find some stuff there. Wonderful. Thank you for coming on the show and chatting about all these things. It's so nice oh, to see you. Fantastic. It's been lovely to see you. If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. I wanted to always be distracted by the noise. Challenge me to truth or dare. At least I know I'll fail with flair. Put me on the back foot, lose my poise. This wasn't in the script. You different. I'd hope to hear your soul and all the songs you sang for me. It wasn't on the cards to cross this distance towards a faint mirage that shimmers just beyond my reach. I am a man of simple needs, melancholy. This wasn't in the script I dreamed you different And hoped to hear your soul With all the songs you sang for me It wasn't on the cards To cross this distance Towards a faint mirage That shimmers just beyond my in the script.